Wonderful. Okay, so let's start the semester off the way everybody, Laura's already yawning, let's start the, what, the semester off the way everything needs to start off with math, right? Yeah, Zoe? Cool. Get out. All right, here we go. So we're start, I'm just kidding. I don't ever, but we are going to start with math. So here we go. Listen, according to LifeWay, okay, so this, this isn't like Thomas and I going to the gas station and asking people what they think, all right? This is LifeWay. This is official this is like, thank you, Zach, for appreciating that joke. Um, these numbers are from LifeWay, which is where we get most of our small group curriculum, so they know what they're talking about. Here we go. Um, 87%, right, or almost 9 out of 10 households in America own at least one Bible. That's a really good start, right? Almost 9 out of 10 households in America own at least one Bible. Um, the average household, okay, the average household has three copies of the Bible in their house. So three, now that could be stuff that you read, that could be like, like when I was born, like the hospital, I was given like a little New Testament, I don't know what they expected me to do with it, but like you have that, and then you have like the picture Bible, so like the Bible and comics, ah, and so like all these different Bibles, right? So the average household has like around three Bibles, and yet, okay, with all this Bible saturation, with all being surrounded by God's Word, of the people who regularly attend church, so this is most of you guys, of the people who regularly attend church, and I want you to put yourself in these, of the people who regularly attend church, less than half read the Bible more than once a week. Less than half read the Bible more than once a week. And these are our regular church attenders, which means the one time they read the Bible is probably at church. Less than half read it once or twice a month. So regular church attenders, how can you go to church regularly, like every Sunday, and read your Bible once or twice a month? Like what's happening at churches when that's the case? 25%, so that's a quarter, 25% say they read the Bible every day. 25% say they have never read their Bible. Regular church attenders. 25% say they've never read their Bible. That's about 200 people at PVN. Regular attenders have never read their Bible. Of adults in America, so this, is, so this is probably, I guess, 18 and up. Of adults in America, less than half can name the four Gospels. 60% of Americans can't name five of the Ten Commandments. 82% of Americans, so 82%, 8 out of every 10, think God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. This is a quote from Ben Franklin. 82%. And you say, well, that's just people in America. What about like Christians? 81% of Christians think that's a Bible verse. 81%. Ben Franklin said it. Uh, there was another one in there that said how many people believe that Sodom and Gomorrah were married in the Bible. Sodom and Gomorrah are cities in the Bible, so marriage is going to be difficult. And half of you are like, oh yeah, okay, got it. So that's, we'll have to deal with that at some point. Um, now, let me give you some different statistics here. So think about this lack of biblical literacy, right? New statistics. The suicide rate is the highest it has been in decades. We are at what's called a 50-year peak in suicide. The highest rate of death due to suicide in 50 years. It is the, this is insane, it is the number two cause of death in Americans 
ages 10 to 34. Cancer is number three. Suicide kills more people ages 10 to 34 than cancer. It is the number four cause of death in middle-aged Americans. Now, I know there are an infinite number of factors that go into that. I know that the Bible is not a magic book like people think. But I also know that clearly, and again, I didn't get these things from like, you know, whatever, Christianity.com. Like this is like CNN and like science. Like they know their stuff. Does that make sense? This isn't biased. And it's clearly showing that people's souls are in deep trouble. That our souls, that your soul, how you see the world, is in deep trouble. I also know that the average teenager, that's you guys, spends five to nine hours per day in front of media, which would be a screen. The poll that I was reading says most teenagers spend more time in front of their phones than they do sleeping. More time in front of your phone than you do asleep. Most Americans read the Bible, so let's recap, right? Most Americans read the Bible less than once a month on their own. Most of us spend multiple hours on our phones per day, and the suicide rate is the highest that it's been in 50 years. One more time. Most Americans read their Bible less than once a month. Most of us spend multiple hours on our phone per day, and the suicide rate is the highest it's been in 50 years. Uh, we have a video by the Honorable Matt Chandler. I want you to watch the, who dropped the bomb at Passion. This is not from Passion, but I want you to watch this. It's about two minutes long. We're good on volume and stuff, Warren. No, no rush. I I'm, I'm 37, almost, Lord willing, I'll turn pause, 38 David, I'm not in June. Talking so yet. Um, so let's back up. Uh, watch this video. Listen to what he says, okay? Listen to what he says, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Take it away, David. I'm, I'm 37. Lord willing, I'll turn 38 in June. And so the world I grew up in um, didn't have microwaves, didn't have remote controls, didn't, it had a video game, but all the games made one noise. And, and so, like, the world you're living in is so foreign and different than the world I lived in. But here's something that strikes me as extremely peculiar that you are the most entertained generation that has ever walked the face of the earth. Like, catch this, right now, all the information that exists is on your phone. Like, that's your world. And, and so my, the thing that strikes me about where you are is that there's more to do and more people to connect with and more places to go and more things to read than ever before. And you're bored out of your minds. And, and so I think the implication there is you've been called to greater things. You've been called to bigger things. You've been called to bigger dreams. You had not been called to watch a three-hour drama. You've actually been invited into the greatest epic saga the universe will ever know. And you've been invited to participate, not just be a spectator. And, and so that boredom in you is actually a call upwards and outwards to be a part of the, the greatest romance, the greatest adventure, the greatest war, the, the, the greatest drama that the universe will ever know. And so on, on one hand, I'm really excited that you're getting bored. Like when I hear my kids say that, part of me gets excited because the promises of the world are being exposed. Um, and, and so that, that would be the first thing. The second thing, and this is my worry, uh, my worry is that there's enough trinkets and enough toys to numb you to the fact that you are bored. 
There's enough new models coming out. There's enough new toys, new ideas coming out that unlike Job and unlike Solomon, you're not going to hit the lows that Job did to find out that God's great. And you're not going to hit the heights that Solomon did that says it's still meaningless. And you're going to get stuck in that nebulous middle tweeting and texting and Facebooking right up to eternity. And so my fear for you is that you'll grow numb to the fact that your soul is restless by your gadgets. And my hope for you is that your boredom would let signal off by the power of the Holy Spirit that you've been called into greater things. Nice. Um, all right, so remember we've turned the PC volume way back down so we don't murder everybody when we play the music later. Um, so, uh, first of all, I feel bad for the guy that, like, Matt hands the mic to. Like, what is he, what's next? Like, what are you going to say to, like, great job. Um, so, here's the deal. This is not a sermon about why technology is bad. Uh, technology is like money. It's not the issue. How you use it is the issue. The point of, of what I want to talk about, the point of this sermon is exactly what Matt Chandler said. You are meant for something so much bigger than a screen can show you. Because I know that there are so many of you in here who do read your Bible a lot, and I'm glad of that. And I know there are a lot of you in here who aren't dual citizenships with America and Fortnite, right? I know, that th- I know that's happening. Um, my point is you are doing all the right things, and you have done all the right things. I had two kids come up to me tonight and tell me how they're sharing the gospel with their friends. Like as a youth pastor, that's a really great job. Like I'm immediately just overrun by how awesome a job you guys are doing, and yet there is still this hole, this melancholy, this sadness, this boredom in your life. You're doing it right, but there's, there's just nothing under it. You're just acting, and if something goes wrong, it's going to collapse. And I think the problem is, and this is what this whole semester is going to be about, I think the problem is you don't know. You haven't been taken into the depths of what you believe and why you believe it. Your faith, though you've grown up with it, isn't really yours. Your faith is yours like mine was. Your faith is yours the way your house is yours. It's a part of your life, but you wouldn't have it if not for your parents. And part of the problem, which is okay, it's okay to start that way, but part of the problem is a lot of your parents just inherited the house from their parents. They haven't made it theirs either. And so as soon as you ask them about the walls or the carpet in your house, they're just going to say, well, I don't know, I kind of inherited it from my parents. So, And I just have to go two questions deep with you in your faith before you give that exact same answer. Question one, for example, why, what do you believe about same-sex marriage? It's wrong. Question two, why? Well, I don't know. I just kind of got that from my parents. So you see how it's the same? Your faith is yours the way your house is yours. Turn to, ch- turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 32. And my hope is that it'll be on the screen, but if not, we can like... 
Like Laura and Thomas and Brinley can come and act it out or something. Does that work? We good? Okay, John 8, you guys are safe for now. John 8, 32. All right, here we go. Um, I'm just going to do this. Here we go. This is Jesus talking to his people. Uh, David, can you do 31 f- actually first? I'm sorry. That's, that's my B. John 8, 31 through 32. And then we'll take a swing here. All good? John 8, 31 to 32. Okay, I guess we'll just do John 8, 32. Um, tell me what, if it comes up behind me. All right. John 8 is up. Thanks, Matthew. John 8, 31, 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, here we go, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Go into 32. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Thanks, guys. The truth will set you free. So according to Jesus... What does being set free look like? Being Jesus' disciple does not mean that you have a successful life. Being Jesus' disciple does not mean that you can work miracles. Being Jesus' disciple does not mean that you'll be able to speak in tongues or have a problem-free marriage or work in your church or never get depressed. Being Jesus' disciple, being free means Learning and being consumed by the truth. Being Jesus' disciple, being free, means learning and being consumed by the truth. It can be an emotional experience, right? Shout out to Beach Camp. It can be that emotional experience, but it, but it is not at root an emotional experience. In other words, you can't say that just because you felt the feels, now you're Jesus' disciple. That's not what he says. It doesn't say, feel this feeling and the feeling will set you free. It says the truth will set you free. Freedom is truth. Freedom is something that you, look at me, Freedom is something that you learn. Freedom is something that you learn. This means that freedom gets to you through your mind as you learn it, works its way down into your heart, and then your heart explodes, and now everything has changed. Freedom gets in through your mind, works its way into your heart, And now that that truth enters your heart, your heart explodes and now everything has changed. The truth comes by learning it. Freedom comes through hearing the truth, learning that truth, and that truth exploding in your heart. Now, let me ask you something. If learning the truth is the key to you being set free, look at me, if learning the truth is key to you being set free, What do you think Satan is going to attack with a torturing, perverted hatred? What will Satan, if learning the truth is the key to you being set free, then what will Satan unleash all his anger on? The truth. And your ability to learn it. Let me ask you something else. Why is it that you and I, because I did this too, 
Why is it that you and I can go to math, science, English, foreign language, extracurriculars, electives like food in life, shout out, which is fine. You can come to church ready to rock. We play the games. There's music. And then when the preacher preaches, oh my gosh, I'm ready for this to be done. And your mind starts to fade. And the Bible app looks exactly like Instagram. And everything starts to filter out. Let me ask you again. What will Satan unleash all his anger on? The truth and your ability to learn it. Now let's be, you know, let's keep it 100. Right? Sometimes sermons are boring. Right? And that's not a dig at me or Mac or Bob or Clyde. I've been up here a lot more times than I want, and I'm preaching, and I'm looking at you guys, I'm like, man, they are not, they are not picking it up tonight. It is not happening. Sometimes sermons are boring, but sometimes they're not. And understand this, understand That if the truth can set you free, if freedom in your life comes through you learning the truth and it exploding in your heart, understand there is a real being named Satan and he is working all his power. Listen to me. He is working all his power not to haunt houses, not to possess people, not to scare people. Satan is, who is thousands of years older than you, thousands of years stronger than you, and he hates you, is working all his power to make sure that you don't care about what I say. I know people who spend their whole lives worried about spiritual warfare. Like, I met a guy last week, we've been talking for like three minutes. Have you read this book? And it was like some spiritual warfare. What? Spiritual warfare. And they don't know, they're concerned about spiritual warfare and what Satan's doing, but they don't know a lick about what the prodigal son teaches. And I think Satan is good with that. There are Bible studies that Satan would love to be a member of because they don't talk about the Bible. He is working all his power. Think twice the next time Because we're so locked in at school, and then we come to church, and everything starts to get soft and fade. There's something much deeper at work in that. Look at what else this says. Look back at 32. The truth will set you free. The truth. It does not say your truth, or my truth, or your granddaddy's truth or TV's truth, or Instagram's truth? The truth. The fact that it's not your truth, here's why this is important, the fact that it's not your truth means that it doesn't depend on your feelings or your circumstances. It means that there is an idea, there is a wisdom, there is a way that is valid and good outside of what you think. Outside of what your friends think, that has no impact on whether or not this is true or good. It doesn't need our opinions or a vote to define it. 
It is already defined because it's the standard by which everything else gets defined. Everything in your life has to be seen through this lens. It's not colored by your life. Your life is colored by it. That's the truth. And the reason this is important, the reason it's not your truth, the reason it's the truth and it's not dependent on your feelings or circumstances is because that means freedom. If truth is freedom, that means freedom doesn't come when it lines up with you. Freedom comes when you line up with it. When you put your life under what's true, there's freedom. Not, well, this is what I think about it. When you are taken up by freedom and when you love it, that's freedom. Not just to know truth. Not just to awana meddle your way through truth. There's nothing wrong with that. But to love truth, there's freedom. When you have found what's true and you love what's true. We must be sure that we understand that it's not just incorrectness that's hurting our world. Where they're just wrong. They're wrong. But remember, the truth will set you free. So if you don't believe in truth, you're a slave. Truth is the only key that can unlock what's chained us. Listen to John 8, 12. John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Here's why this is important. The answer to your freedom is not blindly feeling through life trying to find the key. It's seeing and knowing Jesus. Here's what this is like. There is a door that you can't get through. On the other side of this door, you'll be there. There's going to be joy. There's going to be contentment. You're going to find that thing that you've been listening for. But you can't get through this door. And everybody on this planet thinks that they have the key that will get you through this door. This is from today. Amazon search. Books on finance, 20,000. Amazon, books on dating, 9,000. Amazon, books on happiness, 10,000. 39,000 different books on happiness dating, and money. Why are there so many? Because none of these keys ultimately work. So people think, well, we just have to carve out a new one. Someday, someday we'll get in there. Don't worry. But nobody understands that to get through this door, you don't need a key. You need to know the God on the other side of it. To get through this door, you don't need a key. You need to know the God on the other side of it. And that's why Jesus came. He lets us in. This semester, we're going to learn the truth. We're going to learn about dating. We're going to learn about why we believe what we believe. 
We're going to learn about spiritual warfare, angels and demons and all that good stuff. We're going to learn about what's the difference between a Baptist and a Catholic. We're going to learn how to impact our families in middle school. We're going to learn how to get ready for college seniors. How many seniors are in here? Raise them for a minute. Okay. We're going to learn how to get ready for that. You're going to hear from some people. We're going to learn about baptism. We're going to learn about the end times. We don't know, look at me, we don't know our Bibles, and it's literally killing us. Our vision, our goal this semester is to learn more of the truth, and with God's help, the truth is what's going to set us free.